Hello, and welcome to another episode of your favorite uh, tired grad student podcast. <laughs> you should see Laura's face. Her head, her head has been in her hand literally the entire time we've been leading up to this recording. I don't know why. It's not like I did any work today or anything. Oh, absolutely not. Um, this is Media Literate. Hey. I'm Kim. I'm Laura. Laura. Yeah, we always forget to do our names. We always forget to do a lot of our intro. So we're trying to be good this week. This is a collaborative podcast. It doesn't feel as much like it as it did in the first season when we were shuffling everyone around at all times. But uh, we have on today a very special guest to talk about witches. Do I know much about witches? Not particularly. Do you? Um, as we will discuss in uh, the ensuing episode, I had a uh, very uh, flourishing Wicca phase in middle school that I'm only now coming to terms with the embarrassment <laughs> of. And yeah, don't be embarrassed. I had a. Um, I also yes, had a Wicca exactly. phase. I still have my carnelian crystal and like a little altar that I I mostly forget about. But one yeah. of the girls in my coven gave me a mortar and pestle, and I keep thinking about that because I broke our mortar Thank and you. pestle. Yep, yes, that's I it. broke it, <laughs> and I don't know where that witch one is. So, God, I never got to the point of having a coven, but maybe <laughs> maybe it's coming up. Maybe this is how we. We really like harness our feminine energy, mm-hmm. get in touch with the moon, stars, sun, and earth, mm-hmm. make yep. it happen. Yep. Um, Manifesting it. Hell yeah. So that's the collaborative nature because we're just like sad teeny boppers who um, wanted to, to feel cool. Uh, but someone in our cohort actually knows what she's talking about when she talks wow. about this. So wow. it's going to be really exciting to have her on. Um, <laughs> but you know, before we do that, we have a couple of housekeeping things. Um, I know it really sounded like I was about to intro cannon fodder, but then I remembered that we have an Instagram hey. that you can follow. And um, we would like it if you do that. Yeah. I, if you do, you can see this adorable picture I'm gonna post of Laura at the moment that she realizes she is physically touching a set light that was used on the set of Titanic. Uh, it was truly the greatest moment of my life. I've peaked she, now. She looks happier than I've literally ever seen. Her. So that's the kind of content you get. <laughs> we live together. I've seen birthdays, holidays. Never seen her this happy. <laughs> it's true. So follow us on Instagram at Media Literate Podcast. Correct. Thank you. And um, yeah, if you're listening on Apple, especially, you can follow our podcast on Spotify and be updated when we have new episodes. You can't rate us there, though. So if you've got an iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. And um, if you do, we'll ramble less at the beginning of our episodes. Oh, that's uh, a tall order. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've told you where you can find us, um, dear listener. We have to get to our very favorite segment. It's cannon fodder. Woo! We really need to come up with a replacement for the air horn. I was trying to think of a witchy sound effect, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that was much better. Oh, I like that a lot. Your witchy energy is coming out. Um, so for this episode in which we deal in the occult, mm. You watched a a movie that we tried to keep on theme, didn't you? Yes, yes. I watched, filling in my, uh, the gaps in my horror canon, I watched the 1977 Suspiria, directed (gasps) by Dario Argento. um, Oh, God. Which I believe you've seen. uh, I have, I have. um, Yeah, I, okay, so first off, I really loved it. It was great. There's like a nice set of like 1970s horror movies that are kind of like, I mean, men making horror movies about women. That's sort of like a specific category and they all kind of Mm -hmm. feel similar. I think in my head, I don't know if this is true at all, who we're not doing research for this. Uh, It started with Rosemary's Baby. um, And then there's also like Carrie, uh, Stepford Wives, mm-hmm. uh, The Exorcist, not is mostly about men, but there's women there, <laughs> which isn't <laughs> always, you know, but um, uh, 
uh yeah and there's like varying degrees of like whether they're like on the side of the women or not um Mm -hmm. Suspiria is about a girl a young woman who goes to a dance academy that turns out to have like a coven of witches running it or something like that um and uh, that is basically how the plot handles or something like that it basically it's like yeah they (laughs) this girl shows up and everything's spooky there's some murders we don't like that Mm -hmm. and then eventually they're like um yeah I guess it's witches yeah it's okay so there's a lot to talk about first of all I just want to register a complaint that Fair. if you're gonna have a movie set at a dance academy there should be at least one dance sequence there were no dance sequences Agree. Um, and I think I thought about this I think the reason they chose dance academy was because like like instead of like boarding school or like music conservatory is because dance specifically ballet feels very feminine so you can have a lot Mm -hmm. of women there and like women instructors and stuff that's like obviously there are lots and lots of men involved in ballet but like it just like it's the most it feels like the most feminine of the like Mm -hmm. of the arts in a way and it also like on a level of grossness and intrigue Mm. it allows you to have like just all skinny pretty women that is also just that is also like, very true it was very 1970s this italian director was like okay well how do we guarantee there's no uggos on this set <laughs> i did have the thought when i was watching it, i was like i just love movies where everybody's hot like that's just <laughs> every frame it just makes every frame more yeah. like delightful to take in um, but also on another level ballet is like the most repressive of the arts mm-hmm. as well where everyone is like restraining themselves yeah. constantly yeah and, and like, the, you can't eat and you have to do this with your feet it hurts and but you have to yeah. look nice and it works for a spooky vibe well and there's the element the like I know that like talking about like ballet like dancers feet like and kind of especially being on point like what that does mm-hmm. to your feet there's almost there could be like a potential element of body horror there there's a lot to work with and it's all great and they didn't take any of those opportunities I think they just wanted a space <laughs> that like would have a lot of women because women in uh, space means they must be witches um true yeah so yeah it uh it looked amazing like the lighting I think it's famous for the lighting and the score and both of those were fantastic the score was like mm. very unsettling and like I don't know, 70s rock spooky stuff, but in a very oh, cinematic God. way. A lot of gongs happening, like a wah. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Um, <laughs> the kind of thing where like some people are just into listening to that and you're like, what? But um, uh, it was as a score, it was great. Uh, some genuine like like gory and like horror moments. I don't know if you mm-hmm. heard me like yell just like, oh my god from my room but it's the moment spoilers where one of the characters like... just falls into a pit of razor wire <laughs> and it was just like, what the fuck like it's not even that like like the, the the visual the amount of gore that is there in that moment is not that extreme but yeah you know it's a person in a pit of razor wire and I was just like ah oh yeah. oh god the whole time um yeah yeah you're right she doesn't bleed but it's just like when you see it happen, flailing. you cannot, oh gosh. Yeah, she like can't stand up in that way that women in the 70s were directed to be like, <laughs> no, you can't get up. It's like, okay, but literally why I could just stand? Well, it and is the director's like, like, no, you're a woman. And so they have to like- <laughs> It is like thrive. a bunch of slinkies of razor wire. So she's kind of like tangled up in them. Um, uh, yeah, it's horrifying. Uh, but yeah, there's also, I just need to, like point out the there's a costume piece that the main character wears that I am obsessed with I don't know why we're not always talking about it all the time it's like (laughs) he wears like a full length like shoulder to ankle leotard thing but then on Mm -hmm. top of that she has it's like a white leather vest and then attached to the vest is a long tutu and like I I just it's so great I don't how are we not all wearing that? Like, <laughs> it's the best thing that's ever been created. And you're I, a seamstress. I, bring it back. <laughs> Make that looks, happen. I can't. I can't. I can't pull that off. I don't have the confidence. Um, but maybe some. Maybe somebody someday. Then I'm putting out the the call. You know. Um, Everybody work on this. But yeah, no, it was. Uh, 
it's really, really good. If you like 70s horror um, of the movies that I mentioned uh, and all the other ones, that's kind of like the the new uh, wave of like quality horror that happened in the 70s, you'll like Suspiria. It's like another one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, I had another thing to say about it. Uh, oh, okay. This is just like a thing. I don't know why this is like a specifically an Italian thing because it's an Italian film, but it's English mm-hmm. language. But, but it's every, also set in Germany, yes, where the I, best dance school ever. But like <laughs> all of the dialogue is like 80 yard. It's all mm-hmm. post sync or almost all of it is post sync dialogue. And that's just, it, I got used to it eventually, but like, it's so like, you know, it's like when you see like a picture, like a reflection of yourself, but it's like the other like reversed. So it's not your reflection. It's like, this is just like, so a little bit off the entire time. Like, what the fuck is that? Um, Mm -hmm. But that's, I don't know why they do that, but they, they do that. So that's, they sure do. (laughs) It's not a, it's not a criticism. It's more just a, that was distracting. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I got used to it eventually. Um, yeah, good stuff. Very witchy. I feel like there's a, there's a great line where they're talking about you got kind of like the backstory of the school and the school is actually a witch thing. And she's talking to this guy and he's like, I believe that the wave of witches that we're getting across the world now is due to mental illness. And I think that's like <laughs> the like the dominant reading like that's the framing or it's like I mean it is legitimately how we got into I mean no I can't speak for you I was like I'm depressed I mean and I need something I can't I can't I can't really disagree with it there yeah Um, but you know I feel like there's a lot to looking at kind of women and like psychiatry especially Mm. in like the 60s and 70s um is like a uh, and then adding in witches there, like it's a nice little mix of like, I don't know, moral panic. Interesting flavor combo. Yeah. You've got, like you've got a savor, you've got a sweet, you've got mm-hmm. some like herbal aromatics yeah. in yeah. there. <laughs> exactly. I'm picturing a very specific roast. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it that's it. Suspiria is a Suspiria is a delicious roast. Mm-hmm. That is bringing in all of the flavor combos that you need. Um, yeah, I think I would like to give a disclaimer to people who are hearing you say this. It's not prestige horror. <laughs> it's it's a great movie. It is not a great movie in the way that we talk about great movies today, where it is good. It I is- mean, Yes, that's true. I think it's like if have you seen Carrie? Because I think it's the same vibe as Carrie. I haven't it's seen like Carrie, so that's canon seventies horror. Definitely campy and like yes. trashy, but in a way that is like definitely held up now as a certain type of quality. Yes, exactly. It is one of the weirder movies you'll see, and I think that is what makes it so good. Is yeah. that it's movies don't feel comfortable enough these days to be weird and there's something about just like a bunch of coked up Italians just (laughs) sending poor models sprinting through the woods in a rainstorm and they're like yeah this is this is what our movie is and um have fun people are just gonna look at each other weird for a while and then bad things will happen yeah yep fucking witches highly recommend most definitely uh I wish that you had, I wish we had recorded this in like an appropriate time because then we could have all had this conversation with uh, our guest, Julia, who would, I think, um, flip her shit, as they say. But now I get to say that I kind of want to watch the remake version and she would kill me if she heard me say that. So, Oh, that's a good point. Only because I want to know if they put in a dance number because- That is exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. Like, there is one semi-dance number in Suspiria, but it's really just this, the main character has been hexed and she's just like, she's got her arms spread out and she's like flinging her body from like one side of the room to the other side of the room. <laughs> like just losing her shit right. like a rag doll. Um, so yeah, it would be nice if they put in a little bit of dance. Hopefully the TikTok witches will not hex us for having expressed curiosity over the Suspiria remake. And if they do, we'll start our own coven and hex them right back. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Well, let's get to our first coven meeting then with our new Supreme. That's a wish reference. Wish reference. (laughs) Julia Rose Camus. It's a coven meeting. That's so cute. Do not for one second think I am weak. I have humored you men and coddled your fragile egos, but in no way does that mean you actually have a say. I outrank you. I can destroy you. So I suggest you fall in line because I am still your supreme. Hello and welcome back. This is Still Media Literate and we are here with a very special guest. I think this is only, is this your second time on, Julia Rose Camus? I think third. Oh, right. Because there was Queering Troy Bolton, but that was Drea's. That was Drea. But the first one we ever did was Masculinity. Um, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. I think um, when you came on and did Queering Troy Bolton, it just like erased maybe every single other thing you've done for my brain. I was just like, this is the only thing that I like, this is all I need to incredible. identify literally every single person on that episode because- <laughs> It's incredible. Go back and listen to the episode, by the way, listeners, Queering Troy Bolton with our guest today, Julia Rose Camus. This is how you do the introduction. Hello, hello. So happy to be back on the pod again. We love the pod. Hell yeah. Troy Bolton was the highlight of my life and Drea is a genius for putting it together, so. Yes, absolutely. So today we are talking about, I I would say some gay shit. Oh yeah. For sure, yeah. So some gay shit, but. (laughs) Not quite high school musical related. Uh, Today, we're having you on because we want to get a little bit witchy. I guess we can say this is our Women's History Month episode. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, But we're talking about witchcraft with you today. Um, So would you like to just give us a bit of overview on your your relationship to witchcraft? Because I think everyone on this episode, I I can speak for you, Laura, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what, we, what you're we about all to say. Have, okay, well, we all have some sort of history with yes. with the witchy. I am wearing the the pentacle right now that I got in middle school during my Wicca phase. Oh, which yes. I'm very excited to talk more about because usually I just keep that shit locked down. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. I definitely use Wicca a lot to um, stop being such a fucking sad girl. So <laughs> it works. Yeah. So Julia, do you have a a sort yes. of like relationship to witchcraft or witch? culture I don't know 100% my mom firmly believes we come from like a long lineage of witches um it's in my family it's it's there with the tea leaves it's all the fun stuff so that I grew up with it a lot I really love the subject and like more importantly I love which media I love which content Sabrina mm-hmm. the Teenage Witch the Hex Girls all of those things oh my god the Hex Girls the oh. Hex Girls it's it's gay it's fun it's exciting it's a very women-centric um and it's very queer and it's a good time so I uh just generally love witchcraft and I think it's a really fun thing to talk about and it's come up a bit in my studies which has been really fun um mm-hmm. specifically since you brought up witch media obviously this is media literate we're going to talk about witches in media but what we want to talk about today more is the way that we depict witches in media, not necessarily like, is this shit gay or is this shit evil, but more the like, the lens that we take and the way that a lot of witch media seems to take on this sort of like ethnographic approach to witchcraft and witchery. Uh, Rather than, I mean, obviously we have the sort of like ur text of witches right now, maybe Mm -hmm. Harry Potter. Like, Bias. but doesn't that not feel like a part of the genre at all? Well, that's what I was actually, it was funny. I was thinking about which movies and it took me like probably like 10 minutes before I was like, oh, Harry, I guess Harry Potter. Yeah, no, this is not. No, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just not related. That's the weird thing. And maybe it's because it's about a boy. Yeah, the vibes are off. Yeah, yeah. I think but, like we, like when we think about aesthetic like that, like the Hogwarts, like, I don't know, like Gothic or not Gothic, whatever fucking age that castle is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, it's just like the kind of dark oh. academia aesthetic oh, that's yeah. big on social media, like, feels like it fits in. But like, story wise, I don't know. That's, that's not a sexy story. And witches are sexy. That's so also true. I think there's something like there's a difference between fantasy and witchcraft. And this mm-hmm. is something we'll get into with you, Julia. Uh, 
this idea of approaching it like Harry Potter witchcraft is strongly grounded, I think, in fantasy. Yes, 100%. Whereas witch stories Mm -hmm. always sort of have a foot in both worlds, right? Where when we were talking about this episode, Laura, you mentioned that like, unlike werewolves or vampires or what have you, witches are that fantasy thing that actually um, points to something that does culturally and historically exist in our world exactly yeah yeah like you say like you can say you believe in ghosts or you don't believe in ghosts but like witches are they just like they exist yeah Yeah. Yeah. 100 they're culturally important they're rooted in like a deep realism and that's why i think ethnography is a really interesting tool to study them and talk about them um and i think it'll be very exciting for today's episode Yeah. So before we hop into you explaining um, what the hell ethnography is to, Mm -hmm. um, I always use the term autoethnography when I want to do a like term paper that's just me talking about my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really know what ethnography is. I just use it as an excuse to avoid doing a whole lot of research. We love. Um, Yeah. Best subject. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But before we get into that, I think we need to know what kind of witches we would be. Were we? I've always wanted to. I mean, look, we're we aren't like fully steeped in the practice here, but there is some witchy energy here. Oh yeah, look, we're in grad school, and if we weren't in grad school, we'd be in druid school. We'd be in a coven. (laughs) We'd be doing exactly. So that's my backup plan. Yeah, for exactly. if and more likely when academia doesn't work out. Yeah, we all have the vibe. We're just not doing the work, but we're like three <laughs> witches currently. Well, look, this is officially our first coven meeting. Um, <gasps> on Zoom, so Monday is 10 a.m. Oh is- my God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's draw the circle. Okay, so where is this? Where is this quiz? I actually low key already took it, but I'll take it again because I want to see what my answers are. It's BuzzFeed, our old friend from season one. Good old friend. We love we love a BuzzFeed quiz on this podcast. She she really she gets deep into the subject matter. Yeah. We are going to be looking at the six different types of witches and which ones we are. So obviously there's like a lot of different types of witches and there's a lot of different types of quizzes, but um, this one's (laughs) probably the most engaging one and it covers sort of like the broad strokes of different types of witches you can be. So. Without further ado, let's get started. Yeah. Oh, wow. I actually, I just skipped to the questions. I didn't read the title, which says, there are only six types of witches. Mm-hmm. Only six. Only six. Only six types. Yeah. We're operating within like a Wiccan sort of form of like witchcraft terminology for the start of this episode, but we'll be, we'll be going all around. So. Okay. I can't wait. Okay. Incredible. So. First question, pick a book of shadows to write your spell in. So we've got some different aesthetics really to pick from. Mm. Um, mine, look, I love a good flower. So we've got yeah. like, some really dark obscure ones, but like, I love a good flower, a crystal, like some some nice, just like- There's some rose vibes. quartz and lavender happening here. Yeah, so I'm gonna one? go I'm gonna go with that one. I think lavender is very mystical, fun. I'm drawn to it, I'm, I'm doing it. Okay, cool. I love how we have once again picked the most visual quiz to, to communicate <laughs> our witchiness over this visual audio medium. medium, this podcast. Yeah, it's okay. This is like a calm sleep story meditation. We're just yeah. going to talk you through the beautiful image. I'm going to identify. <laughs> I love parchment. I, th- I wish that all paper were parchment. I don't really know what the difference is, but I'm picking the one that looks like the most, like it has parchment in it. Incredible. Low-key means- there are two, but I, I see what you're doing. I'm, but- I'm going with the moon phase one this time, but mm. which did I go with last time? Who's to say? Who's to say? None of us were there, so. <laughs> okay, now um, to the elements question, which we just had beef about, and we were there's saving- There's some controversy here. Yeah, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. Your take, Laura, is- um. Okay, yeah, so it was pick an element, basically. That's the, and I was like, obviously water is the coolest one. Obviously. And I, I don't know. What does that like, even mean? Water I don't know, is- but it clearly is. Like, <laughs> water's the coolest element. Okay, first of all, if you're going to pick elements based on their, like, cool factor, it's obviously fire. Fire is, like, the coolest element by far. Okay. Um, but despite that, I am going to be true to myself. I'm not a fucking poser. Uh, so I'm going to go with earth. 
I feel like this was like always because it's my my perception this is very informed by Avatar The Last Airbender where when I was younger I was like water would be the greatest like clearly it just looks like the coolest to manipulate Katara is like my hero and then as I grew older I was like but earth is just so much more sensible like it makes more sense <laughs> like so I don't really fucking know I think I'm gonna go with water because that's what middle school me would pick and we're getting in touch with with middle school Laura here who again yeah. has been locked away in the back of my mind for release your child years. self you have to be yeah. kind to your well, inner yeah. child Look, exactly I will say the water is very much like the divine feminine the mystic yeah. unknown the void mm-hmm. whereas fire historically which is not maybe the best history so Ooh. I'm gonna be picking water because I agree with Laura yeah Kim do you hate women god <laughs> sorry Kim <laughs> okay just saying fire is the coolest especially if you're a witch because that's like your main your main enemy, right? The council reminds you, no witch has been tried, convicted, and burned at the stake since 1926. And on a personal note, I'd like to add, I've got a book of matches in my pocket, and I'm just dying to light this fire. This quiz says there are only six types of witches. Which are you? And whatever the fuck, the first time I got green witch, that makes sense. That's like, okay, green as in greenery, green as in herbs and shit. Apparently one of the only six options for witch identity is a thunder witch, which is <laughs> oh, incredible. Thunder witch. Thunder, thunder witch. witch. I love it. I love That's it so badass. much. That's super badass. That? What is that? Okay. As a thunder witch. You feel most powerful during big storms. Rain is probably your favorite weather. That's which perplex which perplexes most people. This is okay. Wow. Oh my god. Nobody likes the rain. (laughs) She likes the rain so much. Is she magic? when practicing your witchcraft you should always try to do spell work and other rituals during stormy weather. Brew up some warm tea. I okay. Yes, brew is the verb for tea, but also like, that's not the witchiest we can be, (laughs) though I do love some tea. Light candles and harness the energy of the booming sky. I mean, look, I think we're kind of related because I got the sea witch. Um, Oh, that makes sense. Ursula who, but... um... objectively the queerest witch i'm just coming out there mm, yeah um and i'm I also think the green which is probably queerer but whatever fair enough fair enough but look drawn to bodies of water and the moon phases affect my tides so uh, i need to harvest lots of full moon water in order to harness my energy i'm ready is that a menstrual thing hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah it is <laughs> hell yeah it is so i got green witch um <gasps> As a green witch, you feel most content and powerful when you are surrounded by and immersed in nature, feeling how interconnected you are to the earth and all of its other creatures. Okay. Remember, Kim, when you were cat sitting Charlotte's cat at like... I was there and I was just very, just physically awkward around that cat. I feel like this is where that kind of ends. You I can do interconnected. I really can't do animals. <laughs> uh, creatures of the earth. <laughs> focus on studying up on herbs. Did they just take my answer to the herb question and, and run with it? It's entirely possible. Maybe even plant a garden to harness your power again dying basil plant on my porch right now you're probably covered in a nice nice little layer of la smog incredible Uh, yeah Uh, anyway i feel i feel like this is this is accurate yeah i think this is great i think we're a good bunch our coven really makes sense together green thunder and sea love it i love it that's taught us a lot about our inner witch self please feel (laughs) free to do the quiz as well to find out what kind of witch you are Mm. um and yeah, so this, knowing full and well our full potential, this takes us back to the topic of the episode. So now we're going to go into the the media, the literate, the media literate, <laughs> mostly the literate part, and then we'll get back to the media. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about ethnography. So I'm going to go on my little baby spiel about this. Um, this is my first podcast episode ever that doesn't have the word queer in the title. Um, so we're really branching out, but I do do other things. There's queer in the subtext. Always, always, Laura. Always. Thank you. Um, but yes, one of my big interests is anthropology and ethnography. It's been a big thing in a lot of my research, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, Good question. So, yes. I have always used anthropology and ethnography kind of interchangeably. What of course. is 
the difference? Well, it's essentially ethnography is the is one of the methodologies that fits under anthropology. So oh, while okay. anthropology is the study of man in general and humanity, uh, ethnography is one of the ways in which that's done. And it's essentially mm -hmm. like the written history and the recording of human life, behavior, et cetera. Whereas like there are other methodologies, right? There's archaeology, and mm. there's like that, that's a totally different way of approaching how we're understanding humanity and history. Um, but so ethnography is sort of like the methodology of social anthropology and the way that we are able to sort of record this part of history. Um, well, that's a great question. Um, and thank you. So there, there have been anthropologists for a long, long time, right? But ethnography as a practice really came up in the early 1910s. Uh, Manilowski is like a big theorist that was one of the first people to record life in Aboriginal Australia. He wrote like very problematic texts like The Sexual Lives of Savages. Like it's super rooted in this like colonial practice, this way of othering like anybody outside of the Western world. Um, and you know, a lot of people like James Cook and Darwin are even viewed as like these biological anthropologists like in their voyages. Um, but so much of anthropology is really rooted in humanity. So like it, it really became more of a practice in the 1910s and was fueled by a lot of like those that the, the colonial exploits of that time specifically. Um, so why does anthropology matter to film studies is probably a question people are gonna be wondering a little bit. Um, hey, Julia, hey, Julia, yeah. why the fuck does this matter to film studies? There we go. So Kim is wondering why does anthropology matter to film studies? So the, the real thing here is that ethnography has evolved from the written realm, like graphy is like the writing part, has very much evolved into the visual realm. So there's people like Jean Rouche and John Marshall who became really big pioneers of this field of visual ethnography in the 50s and 60s. And much of their work was still in this like othering practice of sub-Saharan African communities where they reported back like their findings, like for better, for worse. And this became a huge part of what we now know as documentary practice and nonfiction film. Um, but it's also relevant in narrative works. And we're gonna talk a lot about that later and how we view the witch. Um, and the important thing to keep in mind is that ethnography is like a, a very much an evolving methodology. Like we, we no longer are fueled by colonial exploits as much. Um, and we're trying to sort of reform the field so that it's no longer this irrelevant, terrible thing. Uh, a lot of like great female scholars came about like Margaret Mead and Leela Bulgad who like have written wonderful works that are very critical of ethnographic practices and the field of anthropology and have been huge game changers. Uh, and people like Frantz Fanon and Zora Neale Hurston have been finally acclaimed for like their early contributions to the field of anthropology in a non so like colonial lens. Um, mm -hmm. So we're kind of learning and we're going forward. And with that reform in the academic anthropology side of things, there's also been a, a real potential for artistic expression with this. So Ernst Carroll, for example, created this piece called Expedition Content uh, a few years back that was able to sort of go through some archeological and ethnographic archives, specifically from the 1961 Harvard Peabody Expedition in New Guinea. Fueled, like led by Michael Rockefeller. And the great thing is like this, this sort of expedition was so acclaimed at the time, it brought back really like stunning images. People were so excited about it. But when going through the archives and the audi auditory archives, they found like some really horrible content of this whole team, like speaking like poorly of like the women they were encountering and like these really grossly sexualized misogynistic ways. And so like art has allowed a lot of this dark history to come forward in a way that like we didn't have, like when, these men were writing from their own subjectivity in these anthropological works, like that, that part was not revealed. And so this was like a huge, like important piece of work that they found since it was like 1961. Um, so I think it's exciting. I think the field is changing and I think ethnography as a practice is gonna keep evolving for the better with mm -hmm. things like autoethnography, Kim, your favorite thing at the center hey. of it with people looking at their own communities and ways in which the, they can like analyze them um, and the ways in which they can be critical of the practice as a whole. Mm -hmm. So when we are talking about ethnography, first of all, wow, that was a like excellent thank, thank you. Thank rundown, you. my goodness. Um, and so when we talk about ethnography, I'm already sort of like piecing together like, oh, but witches, but how does this sort of relate to, to witchery and witchcraft? Very excellent, wonderful, incredible segue point, Kim. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, well, so essentially there's all like, as we feel, there's like a huge cultural fascination with magic. Like there is now, there always has been. Um, and 
a lot of these scholars in their ethnographic practices and travels discovered that witchcraft was like a key component of a lot of communities, a lot of cultures. And so they tried to sort of record this. So historically, we've had a lot of works that have dealt with this. Um, one of the biggest like overviews you'll find if you're looking for like a big overview of like ethnography plus witchcraft is written by Ronald Hutton. He talks about like different historical approaches to witchcraft. Uh, we'll link it in the in the bio of the of the podcast because it's really a fascinating history. But mm -hmm. I think if we have to pick one really influential work that addresses ethnographic witchcraft, uh, we have to consider Evans Pritchard's Witchcraft Oracles and Magic Among the Azandi that was published in 1937. This is sort of like one of those pieces they throw at you in like anthropology programs like across the country uh -huh. to sort of consider. Um, and that's like one of the early like moments of like this othering practice happening specifically in regards to witchcraft. The Azandi uh, are people located in North Central Africa. And so their practice was essentially that witch witchcraft was more of a disease, like it was more of like a negative thing. And mm -hmm. so this was sort of looking through like how that affected society. Um, and then it also became delineated like in a visual form when John Ryle and Andre Singer like took this project and made it a visual project in 1982 with a documentary that addresses the same subject. Mm -hmm. So there's this history of othering. There's a history of witchcraft being like dissected through this like very male gazy like structure. Um, even though witchcraft is historically very rooted in a history of female subjectivity and closely linked to a history of womanhood and women in society. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think someone who was like really instrumental in like pivoting that uh, narrative was Zora Neale Hurston, who uh, whose book of Mules and Men was hugely influential in looking at voodoo culture and like doing ethnography of voodoo witchcraft in her native Eatonville, Florida. She <laughs> studied under a bunch of different witch doctors. She recorded different experiences. It's like slightly narrativized. It's like very poetic. It's a great text. Um, and it kind of shows like how early and, and so how such different ways we've sort of looked at witchcraft. Um, and then you got to keep in mind also that like there are massively important roots of like witchcraft in Latin American folklore and African folklore, and spe specifically in Latin America with Bruja culture. And we've seen that kind of come back up in this like, in the past, like, I don't know, five years since there's been this reappropriation, reformulation and commercialization of witchcraft. So mm -hmm. it's, it's something that's always been a huge fascination. It's an evolving topic and witches are a very nebulous concept. And a lot of the like modern depictions we have, I'd say are like sort of focused in the Western world, even though like so many of these practices are rooted in other places. Um, so a big question that people ask a lot is like- Wait, when did are you saying that the Buzzfeed quiz we just took oh, yeah. is not all encompassing? I am so No, 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 <laughs> Laura, there are only six types of witches and they are all Caucasian. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. That's okay okay cool just, just and yeah and that's the question right like when did witches become white like when did pop culture decide to make them these like blonde tiny white women um like as the central figures of witchcraft and representatives of that culture so that is my big rundown overview of ethnography wow. of witches. yeah so what i'm getting immediately like the the takeaways that i'm sort of perceiving here are that ethnography is about understanding how other specifically like it's very racializing because the oh, yeah. ethno part of that it, the graphy is about writing but the mm -hmm. ethno is like writing another ethnicity or culture or or group right yes. and so there's this very sort of like totalizing aspect that happens when we engage with ethnography um but it's also very deeply rooted in trying to understand things so i think based on our sort of fascination with magic and our like romanticization, fetishization, also othering of witches, it makes a lot of sense that our media takes this approach that's like, I wanna understand what's going on here. Like mm -hmm. most witch movies involve on some level, like almost like a little instruction book. It's always very vague, but it's like, this is how the witches do their witch shit. 100%. And, and that's like deeply exciting. Like, I think the fact that so few people have read actual ethnographies of witches, but we all know that like, okay, crystals are a thing, full moon ceremonies, mm -hmm. circles are very important, pentagrams are very important. Um, these like astrological, geological 
relationships. Like we have a sense of how witchcraft works, supposedly. And it's like how much that he's to the actual practices of modern witches, you know, probably very debatable, but yes, we through our media have gotten this sense of like, oh, no, no, no. I understand basically how this works. And I think like, how much is that the project of which media? Yeah, no, and that's a great point. I think we've tried to sort of create this like collective knowledge about witchcraft and it's become like very universalized, very homogenized. And that's partially what's led to it being so commercialized. Um, Mm. So I think like, that's why a lot of like that same sort of like these same types of witchcraft are recurring across the media we're gonna talk about, um, even though that may not be representative of the whole thing, right? In the same way Mm. that ethnography is often reductive and can like the real issue with ethnography a lot of times is like the issue of subjectivity and the Mm -hmm. issue of scope. So most people will say like for an ethnography to be truly effective, right? Your work needs to at least be spanning a certain amount of time. Like you need to be comparing different time periods and an evolutionary aspect has to occur in your work. It's still very imperfect, like in terms Mm -hmm. of subjectivity and othering, but that also sort of impacts how we view it. And so that's why we've ended up with this sort of like homogenized culture of witchcraft. Yeah, it actually reminds me a lot of this, um, this text that we brought up last time Brie was on the podcast called, mm-hmm. um, oh God, I can't remember what it's called anymore, but it was written by this woman, Chick Strand, who was a semi-experimental documentarian in, I want to say the seventies. And she had this sort of manifesto basically that was, she came from the, an anthropological discipline and moved more into creative and documentary filmmaking. And her whole manifesto was basically that like, the way that we do ethnographic videos right now is incredibly racializing. It's yeah. like this, you, and, and like by design that you take a moment or a ceremony or a, a like particular event in a culture and expand it to encompass everything. And her idea as very deeply upsetting as it was, like it was a whole different angle of colonialism where she mm-hmm. wanted to take cinematic language and and more narrative film practices and use those to create a sense of intimacy, a sense of interpersonal knowledge with the subject of documentary or the object of documentary, I guess, Um, and create a sense of like embodiment almost, Mm -hmm. which is very get out is what I say all the time. Like it Mm -hmm. feels really like, I just want to be inside that African. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, it, is trying to subvert this like generalizing racialization and create a sense of individuality through narrative techniques. And that, but I think it's also really important to be able to acknowledge that as a technique Mm -hmm. of ethnography as well, to give you the sense that like right now when I watch um, like Practical Magic, probably my my like main witch text it's my favorite Sandra Bullock Nicole Kidman just two sisters using magic to save each other and murder an abusive boyfriend and all of the good stuff um but that sense of individuality that you get through narrative also kind of elides the generalization that is happening because I'm like yeah practical magic is how witches work they're all white and um, hot, according to the 90s. And um, like, probably, I don't know, make oils to sell in an adorable touristy New England town. I, I love that. I think the idea of intimacy is really, really great. And I think that that's like something people have really been trying to do with this like autoethnography trend that's been coming up. Like, if it's your own community, you have this level of intimacy, like naturally, this level of knowledge. And that othering, racializing, distancing is less of an issue, like when you're addressing things you know. But I think another really great way that this is done in a very different way, and we're, we're veering out of anthropology a little bit, but we're looking at like narr- narratives and the way that narratives mm-hmm. around witches are able to construct this sort of sense of intimacy and knowledge and culture. Um, and I think one of the genres besides fantasy, we're probably gonna leave fantasy a little bit, like traditional fantasy in the, in the Harry Potter-esque sense of the term. Mm-hmm out of this and instead consider maybe how horror functions um, 
as a really interesting site of ethnography. Or Laura's sort of like, like, I can jump in now. Yes. I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I haven't seen any of the movies you're going to talk about. <laughs> well, if you can add them all to your watch list after this. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to yeah. be a good time. But yeah, I think like there's a weird fascination with anthropology in horror because I think mm-hmm. people understand that it's like a very it can be a very nefarious, dark like subject and like research methodology. Mm-hmm. So two films that I think about a lot when I think about witchcraft, paganism, like broadly and horror are Midsommar and the Blair Witch Project. Um, So Midsommar, obviously like it's not like witchcraft isn't quite spelled out in like the typical way, but like there's some witchy shit going on. It's Mm -hmm. very clearly magical. There's, it's like a, it's a pagan fictional community, the Horga in like Scandinavia. Um, Mm -hmm. And the the primary, one of the primary points of conflict in it is like that this group of like men from the U.S. are going to study this community as anthropology PhD students. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of immediately thrust in this lens of ethnography, like they're like, oh, I have to take notes. Oh, this is so interesting. And they're like immediately othering this culture and seeing it as this like potential subject of research. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they get to the point where like the worst character in the film, spoiler alert, but this is like the most devastating <laughs> part of the whole movie. Not the like killings, murder, none of this. It's when Christian steals Josh's thesis idea. Um, as a graduate student, you know, you don't do that shit. <laughs> when I first watched that in the movie, I was like, fucking get over it. And now that I am in like, I am in like grad school, it's like, no, that would be the worst. That would Literally. be, that's heinous. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, oh, I'm gonna take a different approach, but like, like, that is not the deal. But it's really interesting how they like start then to like push boundaries, become way less mm-hmm. ethically like aware, and they're like ready to like go into sacred spaces, violate like code and protocol, like all for the sake of this like ethnographic like mm-hmm. research and like the value this will have for their their academic findings, you know? Yeah. So there's like that approach. And then on the other hand, we have like the Blair Witch style, which is more rooted in like the documentaries part of ethnography. Mm-hmm. And it's like, right, they marketed it as like real, like a real story. They like listed mm-hmm. all the actors at the end as missing or deceased. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it very much plays with like, don't fuck with witches, right? They're like, don't go looking for something you don't want to understand and don't go othering like this, this deity figure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do especially appreciate that, like, the found footage element of it, like, it could be a documentary, they could have just said, like, oh, yeah, this is a documentary that we made, and all of these characters are still real, and we're still arguing that, like, this is a real thing that happened, but the notion that it's found footage is already an indictment of the process, it's like, in doing this, y'all got dead, and we had to find this videotape on the forest floor it touches a lot of different things beyond like again like our sort of often like western white centric conceptualization of witchcraft i was thinking about this movie um like an early zombie film called i walk with a zombie i think that's what it's called Mm -hmm. very like uh bit of a racial yikes uh bit bit racist there (laughs) but it's it's uh it's about like going a racial yikes it's a racial oh god (laughs) no but it's it's kind of about um similarly like studying the like voodoo practices of a like I think Haitian uh plantation in like early I don't remember when it was when it was said but it's similarly got the very like I am here as like the outside observer and and now we're gonna be like like you're kind of like become surrounded by it and and consumed by it um yeah and I mean that's also very like American horror story coven right yes it's following that outsider entering in and like tracking that progression and so like that practice is so deeply rooted in horror and I think like a lot of times people are like oh like the witches are the scary part of this and I'm like no actually the scary part of this is the way that you're engaging with it and like Mm -hmm. the improper like ethics and anthropological practices going down behind that um (laughs) Yes, I I hate to bring up Texas Chainsaw again because I feel like I, I just bring that. it up too much it. in it's life. Great. But there is like the I don't know the the way that like the, the teenagers kind of like like enter this house and then are immediately like like the first kid who enters the house is like swiftly killed by Leatherface, but it's kind of more of in a panic way where he's like, who the fuck is this person? (laughs) And from his body language, as more and more people come into his house, it's like, 
why do they keep coming in here? Like that's very, like it's, there's kind of a panic there. And if you look at the room, like it is, I mean, there are like horror elements of it, but there's also a lot of kind of like art and like ritualistic kind of mm. like um, altar type things made out of like bones, animal parts, human parts. And obviously like it is meant to be like, they're the bad people, but like there is also more of a, and also it's, it's a fully male household, obviously, but like, yeah. Like and yet it, there's art and yet there's but there's also I mean they, they do a lot of playing with gender in that movie I think but like I don't know the kind of like the fact that these kids are kind of like just entering this house and like very much perceived as a threat from like the the person that the is the villain of the movie and the villain of the franchise I think is like one of the reasons that I think that movies like that deserve thinking about yeah no I agree <laughs> um, well, I think there's yeah. so much about horror that's like entering forbidden spaces and you're always like, why would you do this? Like, yeah. or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. disrupting an ancient artifact or like, you know, like just fucking up like history and ritual and practice and culture. And I think like so much of that is relevant to anthropology as it is yeah. to witchcraft. Um, and I think, I think Texas Chainsaw is a great example of that. As much as that movie does not float my boat, okay? It is hard <laughs> to sit through, but I agree. <laughs> Oh my god, I literally love it so much. I'm yeah. so happy that I watched it with Laura. Um, okay, it on so, Halloween. It's so yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. This that's the like this is our spiritual Halloween episode that is coming out uh, in again women's history. We were month. busy on Halloween. We were stressed. We were stressed and ner- this is Halloween part two. Okay, this yeah. is Halloween. We deserve Halloween at least two. Halloween, yeah. Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. I think yeah. honestly they should swap out Valentine's Day for Halloween two because. Yes. Like, why would you not Far want superior. to twice a year? I don't know. Yeah, they're both candy-centric holidays as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is actually bringing up um, a fairly intense question for me. So if, you know, ethnography pretty much, at least as we have it right now, is always kind of bad. There's always like an undertone of like, oh, this is bad. And the way that we approach it with, with witchcraft and with witches as a culture is still on some level, even though it does use narrative to create a sense of individuality and intimacy. If we continue to approach witches through media, right? Like that's how so much of us get um, introduced to that concept and introduced to this like really intriguing, really powerful, possibility of Mm. of self-identification but that's also always through this sort of like colonial othering lens is there a way to approach witchcraft through media like have we all just sort of gotten the gross colonial version and we have to try and like repair our relationship with witchiness or is there a way that we can create witch media that doesn't necessarily use this ethnographic tone, but also creates that kind of excitement around like the way it, like what it means to be a witch, the way that witches Mm -hmm. are, which is in itself so like seductive. Yeah, I think that's the big question. And I think one of the ways in which like people have sort of accessed that historically in film is through subjectivity, right? And I think the film The Witch from 2015, the Robert Eagers film that like was very critically acclaimed does that pretty well because uh, we follow like the witch protagonist, like we follow the witch in the making. Um, like the film basically begins with another character being the witch, like she's very much like, in the woods, like stealing babies, terrifying everyone. Mm-hmm. But our yeah. protagonist sort of like gets lured into that life and that like promise and like becomes the witch. So it goes from this othering perspective to this like embrace subjectivity. So I think mm. for me, that film really did that transition quite smoothly. And when you realize by the end of it, it's not so much anything to fear. It's just like something else. It's a, it's a different way. It's a different story. It's a different culture. Um, so for me, that movie was very effective in that. I don't know if either of you have seen it. Um, nope. <laughs> no, no, no. It always scared the crap out of me. Like it's all yeah. gray tones, which also is like, there's two ways to get Kim to not watch your movie and it's to have all <laughs> yellow tones or all gray tones. I'll just see the trailer and be like, fuck no, why would I, no, ew. 
very very depressing it's a good fall movie if you're really feeling like you especially in LA if you want some like gray like depressing Ooh. New England vibes like I mean I guess island. I am a thunder witch I should probably get into it yeah I, I do like rain so much more than all of you there we go <laughs> You're not like us. You're not like the other witches. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I'm like, the supreme. <laughs> oh my god! Don't even get me started. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel like that one really did a great job with that. And what's interesting is the film gained like a really like intense cult following among the like new age Satanist movement in the U.S. Oh yeah, I know. Which like I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary Hail Satan on Netflix. Highly recommend. Stop saying I don't know if you have seen. It's just embarrassing for us, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> I just okay it's not like I'm watching highbrow like fake this is public shaming yeah. sorry but this yeah. this is a goodie it's a fun one and it's very much about how like satanism has now become synonymous with just like kind of like socially progressive like religious mm. beliefs like that aren't so rooted in like heteropatriarchy like it's much more emancipatory and it's rooting for like a greater secularism in like American society and so they took the witch to be like oh, she defies like this hetero, like patriarchal structure. She overcomes it and she goes to live her best life in the woods with a bunch of women who mm-hmm. seem queer, like good for her. Um, oh, there's like a bunch of women in the woods in this? Uh, at the end there are, spoiler alert. Okay. Many, witches, okay, many witches in the woods, but I think, yeah, there's this like collective fascination around it. And it's like, you see it with like the new Chilling's Adventures of Sabrina reboot um, and like all these other different like sort of pop cultural figures that have emerged. Mm-hmm. So follow-up question, probably wrap-up question. How do we, engaging with this media, like avoid this commercialization? Like I want, I look at TikTok witches and I'm like, okay, media changes throughout history. We're always like the witches of the time. We're also dealing with their own media communications technologies. And this makes sense, but also this is dumb. Uh, <laughs> or, like- or like the the whole we are the witches or we are the granddaughters of the witches they couldn't burn shit which is just like no you're a colonizer (laughs) and by you I mean also me (laughs) yes 100% um very much white feminism has sort of taken a lot of this witchcraft imagery um for themselves which is like it's hard to it's then hard to untangle sort of the real history behind something once it's become commercialized. Mm-hmm. And so I think like there's a lot of really great texts about this. And I think so much of it is very much about like self-education. And there's also great documentaries. You know, a lot of people have spent a lot of time on this. Like even just reading Zora Neale Hurston's work is like a great first step in sort of untangling some of these preconceptions we have about witchcraft and like going further back um, and learning more. Mm-hmm. So, it's my simple solution. It's always my simple solution yeah. to everything. It's just read more. And like, also like, it's always interesting. Like witchcraft is like a really, because we have such a fascination behind it, it's never like a really dry thing to read. It's always really accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in media, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think if you love practical magic, if you love your, your, the crafts, like that's okay. That's also fine. Like there's a certain level of like mystical fun that's allowed. Um, and I think that's encouraged. No, witches don't have fun. <laughs> No. They're either burned or um, having granddaughters who just talk a lot of shit. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think like, I do think that TikTok witches offer an interesting perspective into the subject matter because it is a really great way of getting a lot of rapid fire perspectives from a lot of people with a lot of different like ancestries and magical practices. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. social media is actually not all that bad for that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I do really want to like, I think the way that witchcraft or witchery or what have you like engages or manifests on social media is really interesting because it is this like ultra corporate, ultra technological. And a lot of the time we sort of like technology is the opposite of magic. Like magic is old and tech is new and blah. But like there's always been technology that magic has always interacted with. It's just in different, different shapes of technology. Never forget that the uh the way that angel's soul was saved in buffy was through a computer program <gasps> so that translated it a lost text so oh my god it is oh my possible god. which is and w- what is more subversive and radical than buffy the vampire slayer witches in stem are the future witches in yeah. stem <laughs> there we go episode title all right i feel like we did a good job you guys thanks for uh helping form our first coven anything <gasps> so excited yeah all all are welcome to the meeting next monday 10 a.m 
<laughs> we casting our first spell. Different, Monday 10 a.m. is just going to be rough for me. It's not a very we'll, magical hour. Yeah, we'll make a doodle poll. We'll make a doodle yeah. poll. Perfect. Yeah, but it can't be after 9 p.m. because this witch needs That's to be asleep <laughs> at that point. Sleepy witch. Sleepy witch. Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsey, Sebastian Bertzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, Julia Rose Camus, and Julia Elizabeth Evans. This episode was edited by Julia. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by also Julia. <laughs>